Welcome to the Tiwahanga Infrastructure for a Better Future podcast, a series where we talk to experts both from here and overseas about the infrastructure challenges we are facing. The episodes focus on the key areas of Rautaki Hanganga o Aotearoa, New Zealand's infrastructure strategy. Find out more about the strategy at strategy.tiwahanga.govt.nz. A few weeks back, Tewahanga published the report Economic Performance of New Zealand's Construction Industry, which highlights the importance of productivity growth in reducing construction costs, addressing workforce capacity issues, and increasing the quantity and quality of construction goods such as houses, pipes, and roads. In this episode of Infrastructure for a Better Future, we explore some of our report's findings. My name is Hannah Olette, and I am an economist with Sense Partners, currently on secondment to Te Waihanga. I have worked in public policy, consulting, and have taught urban economics at the university level. I'm joined by my colleague Peter Nunz, who is the director of our economics team here at Te Waihanga. Peter, do you want to tell us about your background and why construction productivity matters? Thanks, Hannah. Um, so in addition to my work in infrastructure, I've done quite a bit of work in, on housing over the years. And I think that, that one of the things that everyone is focused on in housing, but not necessarily infrastructure, is how do we make it cheaper? We all need a place to live. We all need infrastructure to, to uh, support that place to live. We need water. We need electricity. We need transport uh, supplied, supplied to us. Um, and in housing, it's very clear that we need to think about how affordable that is and how we can make that more affordable. In infrastructure, those things are equally important but not necessarily uh, in focus to the same degree. What we learned through the work that we did um, in, in developing New Zealand's infrastructure strategy, which Te Wahanga released um, in, in May this year, was that we have significant infrastructure needs facing us over the next generation. At the moment, we spend about one in every $20 we earn in the as a country building or renewing uh, the infrastructure networks that we rely upon for daily life. The challenges that we face in the sector, fully meeting those with new construction, building, building new infrastructure, rebuilding infrastructure, would cost us more like one out of every $10 we earn as a country. That's a big leap. And when we sort of look at what it would take to get those resources, get that money uh, uh, to do that, it starts to look like a fairly unattainable challenge. And for me, what that, what that brought into relief was the need to actually work out how to do things more efficiently and more productively, get better value out of the infrastructure that we have, and work out how to um, uh, uh, make it more affordable to get better infrastructure. And that's really where this report comes in. We're having a look at, at, at one of the things that can make infrastructure more affordable, which is construction productivity. Mm. Um, so Peter, how does construction productivity, lifting it, actually make our infrastructure more affordable? What's the link there? What's the link there? So this is going to go back to 1967, when a guy William Balmall um, was looking at, at data on what was happening uh, in a bunch of different industries in the US. And what he noticed was that industries where productivity was growing faster, like say manufacturing, um, tended to get cheaper over time. The output of those industries tended to, tended to get cheaper over time. And industries that weren't enjoying the same rates of productivity growth, like say um, healthcare services was a case that he picked up, tended to get more expensive over time. They took up a larger share of our wallets. 
And we looked at that relationship for New Zealand using data going back several decades and found that the same thing's going on here. Uh, the parts of our economy where productivity is growing faster get cheaper over time. Uh, output from those sectors, the quality and quantity of what's, what's produced goes up faster. Um, and the labor requirements required to produce that output uh, uh, go down over time. Um, and so in New Zealand, what we found was that, was that the relationship that, that William Baumol had observed in the U.S., it, it's active here as well. And by implication, if we can leverage that relationship, if we can leverage productivity, we can bring down prices for infrastructure construction, we can uh, help to alleviate our workforce pressures, um, and fundamentally we can get more and better infrastructure in the process. So pay, pay less, get more. Mm -hmm. um, so we found, you know, empirically that, that that's something we should chase. Yeah, so can you provide some historical context around productivity um, in our infrastructure, specifically for New Zealand? How have we performed over time and has this kind of changed or stayed about the same? So we do a couple of things in the report other than, other than um, investigate the theories of William Baumol. Um, one of those is, is we look back um, at the last 60 years of what's happened in the construction industry as a whole. So looking at both vertical construction, so building construction, and horizontal construction of infrastructure. Um, and and, and you know, grouping those two things together because it's easier to measure them together. Um, what, what we found looking back to the early 1960s was that construction productivity has been pretty uneven over time. There was a period of rapid growth in construction productivity from the 1960s to the mid-1970s. Then around the time of, of the oil shocks in the 70s, that, that comes to a screeching halt. And we get approximately 30 years where productivity in construction cycles up and down around recessions, but doesn't really go anywhere. What's happened more, more recently, though, is quite interesting. Um, in the wake of the global financial crisis, which, which had a big impact on the building industry, we start to see productivity uh, grow and sustain uh, growth over, over, over a period of, of, of about a decade. Mm. Um, and this is really the first sort of sustained uh, productivity growth that takes us beyond the productivity levels that we enjoyed in the late 1970s. Um, You've got some other things going on, the, the, the Canterbury earthquakes, which, which um, really shook up the construction industry in the South Island. Um, but we do seem to have had something unexpectedly positive happen to construction productivity since around 2008. Um, so we look a little bit more into that in the report. Um, uh, and Hannah, I think, I think you had some thoughts about the sort of what, what, what we found there and the, and the differences in different parts of the building industry. Yeah, so what actually quite surprised me was the rhetoric around construction productivity in New Zealand. You always hear that it's so poor, that we do so badly. But once we broke it down between those two separate categories, one being, you know, you're building construction, which represents houses, apartments, and hospitals, versus your civil construction, which represents, you know, your roading and pipes and bridges, that there was just a really big difference in productivity growth. So buildings productivity actually was, I think, 23% over the past 20 years, compared to only a 5% growth in productivity for our traditional infrastructure. So I was thinking to myself, why would you see such a big difference? And I've come up with a few hypotheses that we kind of touch on in the report, but there's definitely 
more room for research to understand, well, how can we take the great construction productivity of our buildings and put that onto our infrastructure so we can get better outcomes? So some of the things that are kind of different between you know, buildings and infrastructure is that infrastructure projects are often more complex. And with complexity, there are more rules and regulations to those. But rules and regulations aren't necessarily a bad thing. But it's really important that we investigate them and their efficacy to see if they actually stand up for the barriers that they might put in place. I mean, one of the things we, we, we picked up when we were talking to people in the sector about, about this research was, was the role, of, of, um, the role of, of workforce capability in, in productivity growth in different parts of the sector. Um, you know, some of the people we talked to described infrastructure projects as a, as, as a leap into the unknown, right? You know, you, you can plan them and you can design them and then you start sort of digging into the ground and um, figuring out what's down there. And sometimes what you find is, is, is unexpected in a way that, that um, halts productivity, right? You know, you discover that actually the, the pipes that you thought you were going to re be relocating are in a different place. And so you have to dig, dig a whole bunch of additional holes to find them. You discover that the ground conditions are more complex. And there are things that can be done um, to, to, to um, plan ahead for those issues. But oftentimes they seem to rely upon... Um, you know, having experienced people with the right capabilities, right? And um, we know that that's a challenge uh, for the industry in New Zealand, um, sort of recruiting and retaining uh, good people in the, face of, in the face of international competition for talent. Um, so, you know, the, the question there, if we want to get productivity and we want to sort of deal with those issues that might cause us to lose productivity on these jobs, how do we make sure we've got the right workforce mm. for it? How do we make sure we've got a system that actually develops that talent and retains it? Um, it's a pretty, pretty complex area um, with, with no simple answers, unfortunately. Yeah, and we didn't really touch on this in the report, but I think it would be good to do future work on it, is kind of the, the pipeline of incoming talent. How can we train our younger New Zealanders to um, be, be competent in this space, but also once they're in there, not losing them to other sectors because when you have construction going up and down in terms of its demand, you can kind of lose people to, to different types of work. So smoothing out our demand for building and having counter-cyclical investment through the government as well or things that are quite interesting to investigate or would be interesting to investigate further. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of bigger question of how do we actually build and, build and retain the workforce that we need, right? Mm. What, what's, what's all the different things we have to do to make that work right? It's not easy. And it's not necessarily the only thing that we need to get right, as you mentioned, of, of sort of regulation and sort of permitting processes alluded to. Um, I think it'd also be interesting to talk about, well, how does New Zealand compare to other OECD countries? In the research, uh, do you mind talking a little bit about some of our findings? Are there any lessons that we can learn from other countries? Yeah, so this was another thing that really surprised me in the report, right? Um, I'd, we, we, did, we did a bit um, comparing New Zealand's record of, of construction productivity growth 
with other OECD countries. And, and, and going into that, my, my thought was, okay, well, you know, we, we know that we've got an issue, you know, we know that other people talk about having issues, right? There's this whole series of reports from, say, the U.S. and the U.K. bemoaning the slow, rate, slow pace of productivity growth. And going into that, I was thinking, well, if they're worried about this issue, it must be really, really bad here by comparison. Um, and that wasn't necessarily what we found in that bit on international comparison. So we looked back 20 years and looked at how, um, how productivity had been growing in, in the construction industry as a whole. So, you know, building construction and infrastructure construction in different countries. And what we found there was that New Zealand was, was, um, was decidedly mid-pack. Yeah, very, you know, very much so. Very right? middling, we, expecting it to be all the way we, we to one side of the graph. We yeah. weren't at the bottom of the table. We mm -hmm. weren't at the top either. We were right in the middle, and and some of the places that we think of as as um, as being good good practice examples, say the U.S. or the U.K. or Japan, actually were were um, behind us in terms of construction productivity growth, mm -hmm. and I, f I found that really confusing, um, and it took me a while to sort of get to grips with 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 um, how I felt with it, but. As far as I can tell, this does seem to be a real thing, right? Yeah. So what type of characteristics uh, did the top performers have in terms of the, having the best productivity growth? Well, the places that had the fastest construction productivity growth over the last 20 years are overwhelmingly um, Eastern European transition economies. Mm. Um, and my suspicion is, is what's happening there is, is that they're going through this period of catch-up growth, right? There were some other things that we picked up when we looked at, well, well, what factors are associated with faster or slower construction productivity growth in different OECD countries? Um, one interesting thing there, so we, the, we've talked about the catch-up growth potential thing. That's, that seems to be a real thing. Another thing that we found was that um, all else equal, countries that had slower and more cumbersome construction permit processes, as measured by the World Bank, tend to experience slower construction productivity growth, right? And I think this is really interesting. It, 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 it sh should probably be looked at further, right? Um, I'm not going to say this is definitive. It's a correlation. We don't know what's causing what. But it, you know, on the face of it, it suggests that, that if you have a process that makes it really difficult to permit building projects and makes it sort of quite inefficient to sort of figure out you know, whether you can build something new, that might actually constrain productivity growth. It might limit your ability to bring new, new, um, new designs to market that might be cheaper uh, or more efficient to build. It might limit your ability to use new building techniques, um, use new equipment, and so on and so forth. Um, and over time, that's going to sort of eat into, eat into productivity and thus um, raise costs mm. in your sector. So to the extent to which that's happening uh, in different countries, um, you know, that's something that countries can do that, that they might be able to look at to sort of lift productivity growth. A couple other things that we found that were quite interesting. One was that we didn't find a lot of evidence that there were a lot of economies of scale in, in that, that, that drove faster productivity growth. So all, all else equal, smaller countries actually tended to have faster um, productivity growth than larger countries. That's a bit different to your kind of common rhetoric, isn't it? Totally different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, this made me think, right, because this is the opposite of what I expected to find. Mm. Um, and, and I guess, you know, one thing is, is maybe larger countries sort of, you know, in theory you can get sort of larger, larger projects and a larger pipeline, but actually those countries sort of, you know, are internally fragmented. I think maybe the, the straightforward 
conclusion there is, well, let's not bemoan our small size, right? Let's look for how we can use our size to the best extent, which might mean sort of aligning and streamlining mm -hmm. at a national level. So, you know, when, when, you do, when you do a similar building project anywhere in New Zealand, you're dealing with the same set of rules, the same set of processes. We've got some potential to sort of do some things that can lift productivity across the country if we organize ourselves right. Um, the other thing that we found there that was really surprising was that we looked at kind of boom and bust dynamics, right? So whether countries sort of had had bigger sort of construction booms and then busts, say, after the global financial crisis. And, and as far as we can tell, there, there wasn't really any relationship between those, those boom and bust cycles and the sort of magnitude of those and construction productivity growth. You have some countries that sort of experience these massive crashes in construction activity um, and some countries that didn't, and it didn't particularly seem to matter for construction productivity growth, which was surprising to me. That is super surprising. Mm. Do you have any kind of hypothesis or thoughts as to why when the construction output or demand for construction just plummets, why doesn't productivity as well? Because I would have thought that, you know, people would leave the construction sector, you'd have to build it back up over time to bring the labor back in. So what are your kind of emerging thoughts on that? Well, my main thought is, is you probably need to look at a different data set, right? Yep. <laughs> look, at, look at what's happening down at the firm level. But, mm. but some people have looked at, the, some researchers from the Moto Institute um, have, have looked at um, firm level data in the past. And, and what might be happening in there is some selection, you, you might have a few things that are sort of offsetting each other, right? So the, 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 the sort of straightforward problem with a big boom and bust cycle is it destroys your incentives to invest in, in equipment, in, in skills and training and so on and so forth. And you'd expect that to, you know, because you can, you can do that one year and then you're not sure whether you're going to be washed out and mm -hmm. um, have to write off that investment the next year. And all else equal, that should reduce productivity growth, right? Um, but the other thing that might happen is, 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 that, is that there might be some sort of competitive pressures that operate in, in, a, in an environment with volatile demand, right? You know, mm. you, you might actually have some firms um, look at the environment and say, right, you know, I'm going to have to invest in really good systems, you know, for managing a, a variable workload, for sort of planning ahead, for sort of forecasting, um, you know, for scaling up and down my business in a really friction-free way. Right? So they're flexible. They so, have high degrees of flexibility and they've learned to work in high levels of uncertainty. Yeah, and there's some evidence from, say, the Spanish construction industry uh, that that might that might be happening. Yeah. Um, so you know, interesting area definitely needs definitely needs a closer look. Um, would be would be my view. But it's not as simple as the sim just like with the economies of scale thing. It's not mm. as simple as the simple story we tell ourselves. There might be some other more complicated stuff going on. Speaking of firms, uh, we did do also a little bit of an analysis on how the New Zealand construction sector performed during COVID-19. So we had firm level data on, on, um, on, a, on a set of construction firms. They tended to be larger than the average. They were sort of doing a mix of vertical construction and civil construction, um, largely sort of government facing. So we had firms that were working for, say, the Ministry of Education, for, for Waka Kotahi. Um, uh, you know, so not a representative sample, but um, uh, firms that were sort of engaged in, in, in public infrastructure and fairly critical to, to our ability to, to build that on an ongoing basis. Um, so, so walk us through the, um, the analysis and the findings. 
Yes, so we found that through the early stages of COVID-19, the construction sector appeared to weather the storm of COVID-19 quite well. But like most businesses, businesses, that was largely a function of the government's financial support during that time. On average, we saw that revenue and profit was stable with net profit actually improving in both 2020 and 2021 by quite a lot. Um, and we also didn't see a spike of construction firm liquidations because what you see in the construction industry is often these quite alarming headlines, you know, saying, you know, mass um, kind of liquidations in the firms. But those numbers, although high, are fairly consistent over time. And so we didn't see those spikes during the early um, COVID times. But you did, you did pick up some baseline levels of risk, right, that were fairly, fairly high, right, in terms of risks to, to firms not being able to continue trading. Yeah, it's, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. Construction firms are currently facing some serious challenges like cost escalations, delays, and labor shortages. And when we looked at some long-term and short-term financial health indicators of the construction industry, although the changes weren't big, the actual levels that they were sitting at for, you know, uh, debt to um, equity ratios or the interest cover ratios or networking capital, which is, you know, your current assets minus your current liabilities, is that their actual level was relatively concerning compared to what you would expect for a healthy firm. Um, so it's pretty pretty important that we keep monitoring that so, yeah, so we yeah, you yeah. Know, don't see people falling off at large numbers. Yeah. Yeah, because in 2021, 12% of firms had negative networking capital. So they had more current liabilities than they had current assets. And 34% of firms that we looked at um, had debt to equity ratios over two. But in the construction sector, that might be a number that you'd want to lift because they buy a lot of expensive, you know, capital. Capital intensive industries tend to have those higher debt to equity ratios, but it's still a indicator that it is something that we should keep an eye out on over time. Mm. Mm. Watch this space. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, summing up a bit, the, the, the picture that we got um, of the construction industry here was one, one that's healthier than commonly assumed, right? Um, an industry that, that um, especially in, in, in building construction, is actually managing to lift productivity substantially. That's come through the GFC um, and come out of it sort of with a boost in productivity rather than a decline, which is, which is good news. And, and, and it's weathered the early stages of the COVID pandemic in, in 2020 and 2021. Um, uh, you know, not, not in perfect health, but, but, but at least sort of it hasn't sort of entered, you know, during those phases, it hasn't been in declining health, right? So there's actually some good news stories here in, in, in construction in the report. But I think against that, there's, there's that sort of ongoing um, solvency and liquidity risk that, that, that you've identified, Hannah. So there's a need to sort of keep a close eye on the industry to ensure that it isn't sort of slipping, slipping um, uh, beneath the surface financially. Mm. Um, there's the fact that um, productivity growth's been uneven in different parts of the sector. It's been more concentrated in, in building construction 
vertical construction um, and, and much slower and, and heavy in civil construction, which we rely upon to produce infrastructure. So that's something that we need to take a closer look at. Yeah, and that's not just in New Zealand as well. It's all across the world, uh, civil construction being less productive than, seems, than building, yeah. Seems to be a common theme mm. of sort of slow productivity growth in there. We've seen that in, a couple, in the data for a couple other countries. Um, you know, so there's, there's some risks we have to keep an eye on, but there's actually some good news stories and some opportunities for improvement. Um, I guess any, any other thoughts to wrap up? No. Thank you so much, Peter. All right. Thanks, Hannah. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to Infrastructure for a Better Future. To find out more about the infrastructure challenges we are facing, visit strategy.tiwahanga.govt.nz.